This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. What I find to be the really disturbing kind of issue is a lot of these are treatable, not maybe preventable, but the vision loss for a lot of these could be minimized if people recognize the risk factors and thought to have an eye exam earlier rather than later when they're having a big problem. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll hear all about the fabulous late summer, early fall detox. We'll discuss how to get the right eye care for your needs. We'll find out what to do when only one person in a household is dieting. And lastly, we'll learn how yoga can augment your home fitness program. But first, a little bit of business. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager at Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of natural products on the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel is a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine and a regular guest on this show. Welcome back, sir. How are you? I am doing fabulous on this warm, sunny day. So we're going off script today, right? Like, you know, there's the health and wellness script, and that is... Springtime is detox time, and we don't talk about detox any other time because spring is detox time. But you have a different take on this today. I thought I'd shake it up because 2020 has been such an interesting year so far. Why not shake something else up? Exactly. So, and who knows? I don't know that any of us really had the time or inclination to detox in the spring. So let's talk about a late summer, early fall fab detox, okay? Got it. All right. So what are the reasons that people might contemplate a detox? Well, normally people look at detoxing because as much as we try, no one leads a perfectly clean and active lifestyle. I'm putting my hand up. I'm one of the few. I try, but I don't get it completely. And you have to realize that every less than healthy choice you make leads to some toxin buildup inside. Mm -hmm. The first step to do is we need to detoxify and try and get that accumulated junk out of us. But here's a key thing, because every time I talk about detox, someone inevitably puts up their hand and goes, but our bodies are designed, they detox themselves all the time, why bother? Well, the truth is, your body is constantly detoxifying. If it didn't, we'd basically all just go, but the whole point is that it could use some help getting better at it and getting more effective at it and making it easier for your body to detox. That's the big key. And luckily, for some little minor changes in daily routine, when taken together, they can have a profound effect and help your body detox really efficiently and without much fuss. Yeah, and I think what people fail to realize is, you know, the lifestyle that we live now in cities 
you know, commuting. You know, we weren't, God did not intend us to live that way. I mean, you know, like, I can get into a philosophical, I'm not a Luddite. I'm not suggesting we give up all technology and go live on the farm. But the truth of the matter is, like, we weren't really made for this. And we weren't really made for all the chemicals and toxins that exist in our atmosphere. So why would we expect our bodies to immediately be able to cope with everything? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Oh, agreed. Just think about it. I forget the exact number, but it was some ridiculous number, like 90 or 95,000 artificial ingredients are introduced into the diet of every person every year. Right. And that's 90-something thousand components that our bodies were never designed to handle. Correct. And, I mean, our bodies can cope, right? I mean... Uh, let's put it this way. If it's an additive that's put in food, it had to have been tested to the point where our bodies can live with it. It doesn't mean that it's good for you. So, you know, that's my perspective. And by the way, as a sidebar, my second magazine, I never got around to it. So tonic was number one. The other one was going to be toxic. It was all going to be about alcohol and drugs and gambling and, you know, all the sorts of vices that everybody has. But maybe that's in my retirement. I'll get around to toxic. So spring is the traditional time because I think that's when we turn our minds to sort of doing the detox. And, you know, it's like the notion of rejuvenation. But I think my perspective is we could all use a little rejuvenation now. Is that what's motivating you here? Well, what motivated me for this one actually is looking at why spring traditionally is a time for detox. And why it is, is that... Normally, spring comes right after winter. In fact, it does every year. (laughs) And winter is when our bodies accumulate more toxins than any other time of the year because we're stuck indoors. We don't exercise as much. At the same time, we tend to overindulge partially due to the foods that are around us as well as the stress. Now, I don't think anyone is going to say that this summer hasn't been stressful. Yep. <laughs> 2020 is going to go down as the weirdest summer anyone who went through it will ever remember. Yep. Between the COVID lockdown and the stress that has been accompanying COVID, yep. this has led to toxic buildup much higher than any of us experience in the winter. And it's done not just each individual one. It's done as a group. It's been ridiculous. The stress of the lockdown and the economy also pushed most of us to forget our health plans, be it exercise, be it diet, be it even just relaxation techniques. And the problem is if we don't detox now before we get into fall and winter, our bodies are soon going to have to fight the combined effect of the toxins from COVID along with the usual toxic increase from fall and winter. All right. I know that your approach to this is going to be quite appealing to people that are listening because we're not here necessarily talking about an over-the-counter or detox cleanse. You've got some pretty straightforward, simple ideas on how we can all sort of help our body along, right? Definitely. And I'm a firm believer in these because I know that if you recommend a harsh detox, 90% of the people are just going to say, forget it. It's not for me. It's too hard. It's too much work. So I believe in doing small things, but a lot of them that together have a better effect sometimes than that. All right. So let's start at the top of your list, and that's hydration. Definitely. Water is your friend. It always has been and always will be. If you can drink water consistently throughout the day, and I mean all day, it'll allow your body to have the fluid it needs to flush out toxins, and it'll help that whole toxic elimination system. Now, most people don't get nearly enough water Mm -hmm. in the day, so I like to start out by explaining how much the experts recommend. Yep. 
For women, they recommend at least nine cups, which works out to a little over two liters. And for men, it works out to 11 cups, which is two and a half liters. And please understand, those are the minimum, the bare minimum. That's just to keep you enough hydrated, or hydrated enough, excuse me, to make sure that your body can flush out toxins. But if you do anything, like if you work out, have caffeine, and that means from coffee, tea, or chocolate, or spend any time outside in the heat or sunshine, you need to drink even more. Mm -hmm. Now, the other side benefits to this are beyond the detoxing. Water has a lot of other benefits. Weight loss, fatigue relief, kidney health, headache prevention, clearer, softer skin, and improved digestion. Now, here's the big thing. I always get feedback when I say stuff like this, like, oh, water's so boring, I can't handle it. If plain water isn't your favorite and you just can't handle two liters or two and a half liters of straight water, you can add some chlorophyll, some fresh lemon, or some cucumber that are all nice and healthy, and they notch up the flavor a little bit, Mm -hmm. and that'll get you through drinking. All right, so let's uh, take one baby step back. Chlorophyll. Yep. What is it? What does it do, and how should you take it? Well, chlorophyll, yes, I'm talking about the dark green pigment that we all remember from grade school section on photosynthesis, is a wonderful, gentle detox. All you have to do is add a tablespoon in your water or other drink a couple times a day and you're on your way. What it does is it essentially helps improve your whole digestive system, which naturally improves your detoxification. The nice thing is, if we had this conversation, say, 30 years ago, chlorophyll was just chlorophyll was just chlorophyll. There wasn't any easy way to do it. Now you can find taste-free ones. You can also find ones that are flavored. My two favorites are mint and dark chocolate, Mm -hmm. and they taste great. What it does also is really cool is it helps detox specific things in addition to just general. Those specific things are heavy metals. Mm -hmm. And also something very fascinating, a category of toxins called aflatoxins. And what aflatoxins are are little itty-bitty toxins that are found on fruits, vegetables, and grains. So if you're having a healthy diet, you're getting some of these toxins in you, so you've got to work on a way to get them out. Mm -hmm. The other side benefits to chlorophyll beyond detoxification are it increases your energy levels, controls hunger, reduces craving, helps reduce all types of body odors, regardless of the cause, improves your breathing, and it also combats candida. As if that wasn't enough, it's also a really, really potent antioxidant. And how do you take it? Is it a liquid? What is it? You can get it in liquid capsules and tablets. I do recommend the liquid. The reason is I find that the liquid just works better. Okay. Are you taking chlorophyll daily, or is this just sort of, yeah? I take it every day, 365 a year, and if I'm exercising or working out, I load up on it. (laughs) Okay, why in conjunction with exercise would you need more? Because it gives me energy. At the same time, it reduces hunger. I'm one of those people, when I exercise, I get hungry. It reduces my hunger, and at the same time, it reduces my odor from sweat. Okay, those are good things. Especially for the people around me. Well, yeah. So another check on your list is getting a good night's sleep. Definitely. Most people, when they're thinking about toxins and good health, sleep just doesn't enter in the equation, and I don't know why. And sleep is wonderful. It does so many things for us. And unfortunately, stress 
and quality of sleep are inversely related. So the more stress you're under, the lower the quality of your sleep. And let's face it, all of us have been under a ton of stress. Mm -hmm. Even without being under a ton of stress, most of us are what are classified as sleep deprived. The reason that is, as a general rule, adults need between seven and nine hours of quality sleep each night. Unfortunately, the vast majority of us are about two hours shy of that, night in and night out. Now, the weird thing is you'll always hear people say that, oh, don't worry, yeah, I missed sleep that night. No, no, no. The problem is the amount of sleep you need actually goes up if you've missed sleep in previous days. It's cumulative effect. Definitely it is. And researchers call it a sleep debt. Yep. And they equate it to being overdrawn at a bank. And the problem is until you top up, you're going to consistently add to your debt. And you do have to top up or it gets worse. And what happens when it gets worse is you can be drowsy, energy deprived, and here's a big one, forgetful. It actually starts impacting your memory and your cognitive abilities. And that's not good. No. All right. So I know the next one on your list, you know, you and I are copacetic on this one, and that is eating clean. But what does that mean and how do we do it? Yeah, just have to put yourself in a mindset that I'm trying to get rid of toxins, so it makes absolutely no sense on putting any toxins in me while I'm trying to get rid of them. Right. It's counterintuitive. So you want to keep what you put in you clean. By eating clean, you're reducing the stress in your digestive system and helping it to function better at helping you. And the way you do this is eliminating anything that's difficult for your body to digest or inherently contains toxins. So the first thing you want to do is get rid of foods that are hard to digest. That's meat, poultry, dairy. Those three, very difficult for your system, so just lighten the load. You want to get rid of things that are empty calories, which is breads, white grains, flours and rice, and sugars. You want to avoid anything artificial. Key ones are colors, flavors, preservatives, and sweeteners. What's left, Joel? (laughs) You want to choose a diet of clean, fresh fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, and legumes. Try eating as much as you can, minimally cooked or uncooked, because the closer you get to raw, the higher the foods are in enzymes, fiber, and actual nutrients. The other big thing is you want to try eating multiple small mini meals rather than the traditional big two or three meals a day as it lightens the load again on your digestive system and it won't spike your blood sugar levels. The key thing is if this is your first time, try clean eating just for a weekend. Mm -hmm. See how it works for you for two days and see how you feel. You might like it enough and feel great that you can just keep on going a little longer or you might not and you might want to pause it at two days. But if you're all had at this, then you know how good it makes you feel, and you can go longer and get greater effect. Okay. I know with respect to digestion, you have some ideas that can help us along, and, and what are those? Well, digestion is one of those things that you can help every day with a couple good supplements in addition to good eating. Mm-hmm. For example, drinking the water, having your chlorophyll and eating cream will all help with your digestion. It will, no question, and it'll help with your elimination. But to take it that one one notch higher, you want to add what I call the triple play, soluble fiber, probiotics, and enzymes. And soluble fiber is the form of fiber that helps to remove toxins and helps control blood sugar and helps control cholesterol. 
The nice thing is, for all you people really concerned, it's not the thing that forces you to go to the bathroom really quickly. <laughs> doesn't do that. No. By eating clean, you're going to get some soluble fiber just in the foods, but you're not going to get enough. You want to take a soluble fiber supplement. One we do is called Fiberific. The advantage is that soluble fibers are easy to use. You just mix them in any liquid or soft food, and it just gets that little more fiber into your diet and gets the system running better. Mm-hmm. You want to aim to get at least 25 to 35 grams of fiber each day. And when people hear that number, they go, okay, well, I have no idea what mine are. I'm probably there. Most Canadians get around seven. Yeah. If you're trying really hard, you may get 10 or 11. So you want to go and do that. And the nice thing is you should see some nice effects relatively quickly. Okay, so very quickly, we only have time for one last little quick bit. So probiotics and enzymes, real quick. Probiotics are active bacteria that help improve your digestion and immunity. There's nothing negative to them. There's literally thousands of them out there. I say always go for certified organic. The reason is... They're clean and they're vegan, and you know they're not going to hurt you. In any way, they're only going to help, and they're the cleanest out there. Enzymes, often overlooked, essentially what they do is they're specialized proteins that help break down food so that your digestive system doesn't have to do hard work. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Always my pleasure. I enjoy this. That was Joel Thuna. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the importance of public access to eye care on The Tonic. St. Francis Herb Farm is a leading herbal company that is 100% Canadian-owned and family-run in the Ottawa Valley for over 30 years. St. Francis Herb Farm is obsessed with plant medicine. Their holistic approach includes only certified organic and well-crafted herbs. Processes learned over decades get the most out of the herbs, and leveraging science ensures the highest quality. The foundation for their well-made plant medicine. St. Francis Herb Farm is well-known and trusted for their wildly popular Deep Immune that can help you fend off flus and colds, as well as a full range of natural health and wellness products for the whole family. To learn more, visit stfrancisherbfarm.com or follow them on Instagram or Facebook. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dr. Yvonne Bies earned her MD degree at the University of Toronto, where she also completed an ophthalmology residency in 1992, followed by a glaucoma fellowship in 1993. Dr. Bies obtained the diploma of the American Board of Ophthalmology in 1993, and in 2018, she was elected as the 68th president of the Canadian Ophthalmological Society, COS, where she has been a board member since 2010. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So here's a poser for you, and I don't know the answer to this, so I'm hoping you can edify me. There's optometrists, and there's opticians, and there's ophthalmologists. What is the difference? I agree. It can be very confusing for people. And I think part of that confusion is because we call both ophthalmologists and optometrists doctors. Right. But the main difference is that an ophthalmologist is a doctor in medicine. And an optometrist is a doctor of optometry. So ophthalmologists, we're actually medical doctors. So we go through medical school, and then we do an additional five years afterwards in an ophthalmology residency, and maybe another two years of training after that, subspecializing in various areas. So ophthalmologists, they are the medical doctors. We are surgeons. We diagnose disease. We treat disease. We operate. We also do glasses. 
Whereas optometry, there may be, let's call them the family doctor of vision care. So they can be a primary entry point for people who have vision problems because they can diagnose and they can treat some eye diseases, although they do not perform surgeries. If the disease becomes more complex, they will then refer a patient to an ophthalmologist. And where do opticians come in all of this? So opticians is another layer, and so if you think of algorithm kind of, they are underneath the optometrist, and their role is mostly in fitting of eyeglasses. So they don't even write the prescriptions. The prescriptions are written by optometrists or ophthalmologists, but when you get your prescription and you go to an optical store, the optician will help with the proper fitting of the glasses. So it's, it's sort of a technical practice as opposed to a medical practice. Correct. Okay, so let's talk about the type of eye ailments that you see amongst Canadians. So there are so many different eye diseases. It's a little bit overwhelming. I would like to maybe just focus on adult eye disease because that's probably a little bit more prominent. And there are really four of the most common eye diseases. And let's not talk about glasses, which is the most common thing. But the most common eye diseases would be cataracts. Mm -hmm. macular degeneration, glaucoma, and diabetic retinopathy. And these are actually very common. About one in six Canadians will have one of these diseases. Wow. So for those who don't know, can you explain, like, in footnotes, like, what are those for? Like, how do they manifest? Okay, so many diseases in the eye, they would manifest if they're not caught early by decreased vision. Okay. So if we start with cataracts, which is probably the most common thing, I like to think of cataracts, it's like you're looking through a dirty window. So if the lens in the eye becomes hazy as we get older, it's a normal process of aging, and your vision gradually gets diminished, but it should be diminished most of the time. Now, there can be certain types of cataracts that are worse in certain scenarios, like when you're having light shone in your eyes. For example, if you're driving and oncoming traffic uh, beams of a car, that might affect you more. Now, my area of specialty is glaucoma. Mm -hmm. Glaucoma is a disease where you lose your peripheral vision first. And we call it the thief of sight in the night because you don't recognize you're having a problem until it's very advanced and you're losing your central vision. Whereas macular degeneration is kind of the opposite of glaucoma, where you lose your central vision first. So you're looking at a person, you can't see their face, but you can see everything around them. And macular degeneration can have more of a a rapid onset, whereas glaucoma is a little bit slower. And macular degeneration can sometimes start with just distortion, so lines don't look straight. And then diabetic retinopathy is in people that are obviously have diabetes and that they get a leakage of the blood vessels in the back of their eye that can affect their vision. And usually, again, it's when it's affecting their central vision that they recognize they have an issue. Got it. With those four serious ailments and one in six Canadians suffering from them, why do we hear so little about the prevalence of eye disease? Well, I'm hoping you're not hearing so little about the yeah, prevalence no, of I'm, eye disease. I'm with you. I'm with you. And, 
And maybe that's a, a bit of our problem that we haven't been communicating it very well because these are very prevalent. And I think that as people are 65 and older, probably within their own communities and they have discussion, everyone must know somebody who's had sure. cataract surgery, right? Of course. Everyone must know someone who's had macular degeneration. So um, I would hope that more people would be aware of these issues. And what I find to be the really disturbing kind of issue is a lot of these are treatable, you know, not maybe preventable, but the vision loss for a lot of these could be minimized if people recognize the risk factors and sought to have an eye exam earlier rather than later when they're having a big problem. Right. And I think that the two real barriers to that is, A, knowing what the risk factors are, and B, that in the government, in, in a lot of areas in Canada, routine eye exams for ages 20 to 65 are not covered by the government. So that means that people will maybe not have their eyes looked at it because they have to pay out of pocket until they're having a problem. Hmm. So if people are paying for it out of pocket, are you finding that there's a disparity between different types of Canadians as to the level of their eye care? Oh, most certainly there is. And in fact, that's an area of research that I've been interested in. And uh, we can look at certain regions and see based on income level that disease prevalence for glaucoma, for example, is higher in people of lower economic levels. Is it just economy driven or are there racial issues at play too or minority issues? Well, you know, sometimes racial issues are also associated with economic issues. So it can be hard to separate that. And within racial issues, some of these diseases are worse in certain races. For example, glaucoma. Number one cause of vision loss in the black community is glaucoma. Diabetic disease, I think, is worse in the black community. So there can be racial issues as well, for sure. So what does your society recommend to overcome the challenges in meeting the eye care needs of Canadians across the board? Well, what we recommend is that people do have a routine eye exam. And as I said, you know, a lot of these diseases and eye issues are more prevalent as we get older. So the frequency of having an eye exam, the recommendations are based a bit on age. So for adults the ages of 65 and over, they should have an eye exam at least every two years. Whereas for those that are, you know, from... 40 to 55, maybe every three to five years would be reasonable. But obviously, if you have an issue, you should make sure that you go in and see someone and don't wait till things get very bad. The other thing our society is doing is trying to improve the education of the public about the risk factors for eye diseases. And we've actually set up a really fun website. It's called seethepossibilities.ca. C is S-E-E. Uh-huh. And in this website, they have information about what are the risk factors for those four most common eye diseases. And in fact, we're running a little bit of a game right now. And if you go in and there's a questionnaire you can do, the people who finish the questionnaire can then enter a draw to win a $250 gift certificate from Bon Look, which is a Montreal-based eyewear um, brand specializing in trendy prescription wear. And we will be announcing the winners on World Sight Day, which is October 8, 2020. So there's still plenty of time if they want to go on the website and get the information and then enroll, yeah? 
Absolutely. And there's a lot of very good information, a lot of good patient videos describing their experience with these various eye diseases. So, you know, you're doing your part. The society is trying to get the information out there. And, you know, we're trying to inform people through this show. So I'm doing my part. What can my listeners do to be proactive about their health care? Well, first they can, for themselves, make sure that they're having a routine eye exam. Speak to their friends about it. You know, some of these diseases are also run in families. And as a glaucoma specialist, I noticed that not all of my patients would be telling their brothers and sisters or their children that they have an eye disease. And I think that is important to communicate, too, because that is a risk factor example for glaucoma. So I just think having the conversation, not being scared to have the conversation, not being scared to admit when you're having problems with your vision. Okay. Dr. Bice, thank you so much for coming on the show today. That was really fantastic information. And for those who didn't quite catch the name of the website, we're going to post that on the podcast and on the website so you can go and enter the contest and maybe win a pair of glasses. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming on the show. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Jack Nathan Health offers Canadians convenient care with 74 multidisciplinary clinics located within Walmart stores. The largest ever Jack Nathan Health Medical Centre is now open in Vaughan, Ontario at 8300 Highway 27. The new 8,300-square-foot clinic offers integrated services for the whole family, including family medicine, physiotherapy, and chiropractic, chronic pain management, massage, and a registered dietitian. There's also an on-site Dynacare blood laboratory, plus same-day referrals, walk-in appointments, and a new annual health assessment option. Jack Nathan Health is a one-stop shop for proactive health management. For more information, visit jacknathanhealth.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. My next guest, Shauna Lindzen, is a dietitian and nutritionist. She's a program developer and nutrition leader at Wellspring Cancer Support Network and enjoys seeing clients virtually and doing corporate wellness lectures. She runs practical cooking demonstrations that combine scientific knowledge with culinary education. Her demonstrations are unique, informative, delicious, and a lot of fun. And you can find a list of her nutrition classes and recipes at shaunalindzen.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Happy to be here, Jamie. So, dirty little secret, although it's not because like my life is an open book on this show, is my weight bounces around. I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm one of those people that it likes his food. And, you know, I've got, truthfully, I've got about a 20 pound range from top to bottom where I fluctuate depending on how active I am and how careful I am in, in what I'm eating. So right now I'm in what I would call diet mode. I don't really believe in diets, but I'm making an effort to lose weight. Okay. And I've lost about 11 pounds over the last month or so. Oh, okay. But what I find is when I'm doing that, 
I am the only one in my house who's doing that. And everybody else is busy doing their own thing. And Naomi's been busy baking breads and cakes and everybody's just living for their next meal. And it's a challenge. And I thought it would be helpful if you came on and discussed what happens when only one person in the household is trying to drop some pounds. Yeah, and I I think many people can relate, right? Especially since lots of us have our teenagers home for the summer or we have them for the summer and we have young adults, right? So they have good appetite. They do. So, (laughs) as you said, Naomi's baking and cooking and just... And so am um, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so are you, and feeding the family. Yeah. So, lots of people can relate to this in terms of what do we do if there's one person who's really watching what they're eating, but everyone else isn't really on board with it. Correct. So, I have a few um, really good tips for you. The first is, and I really follow this myself, have a variety of foods around. So... A really good example of this is let's say you're sitting down to a lunch or a dinner and you're making like tacos or wraps or something like that, right? Where mm-hmm. you have a variety of foods in front of you. So if you're watching your weight, maybe take one taco shell and then one collard green leaf or some romaine lettuce and wrap the filling into that. So if you have a little bit of variety in different types of wraps, for instance, everybody can choose their own. Mm-hmm. So, so there's something for everybody. Okay. Yeah, and that also goes along with the technique of serving it family style. So family style means putting everything on a platter and people can choose what they want. Well, how does that help if, if you're trying to lose weight? Like, isn't that like an extra challenge not to sort of fill your plate? Whereas if somebody were just to portion it out, it would be easier than, you know, you have the reasonable portion and you're done. You know, I agree. It could go one way or the other way. But if you're in the mode, yeah. and I'm not going to use the word diet because I feel the same way you do about it. It's about changing your lifestyle. So 100%. It, it's a bit about being this kind of goes into the realm of intuitive eating. So if you're already in the mode, as you say, at that point, I think you'll appreciate the different variety and being able to make the decisions because it's it's interesting because out of sight, out of mind, right? Like if, if you have like a lot of collard greens and lettuce and lots of greens there and you know that that's a good option, you can actually do both. Like... You're a tall guy, right? Like you're about six feet, six yep. one. Yep. You need the energy, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you should be having, you know, three, four, or five of the wheat wraps, let's say. Just have one, and then if you go for a second, have it in a collar or green leaf. Like, it gives you the option to think it through. And interestingly enough, that's a bit like cognitive behavior therapy. You're Stopping, you're thinking, and then you're doing. Mindful eating. Mindful eating. Once upon a time, because I've, I've always struggled with my weight, I would insist that, like, no crap is in the house. You know, like, why are you buying mm-hmm. the crap? Why are you making it? Why are you doing What are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. The truth of the matter is you can't force those around you to live your lifestyle because for them it's not relevant, right? So that stuff's going to be in the house. Yeah. And you know what it is also interesting? If, for instance, staples in my house would be chocolate almonds, for instance, and dark chocolate bars. Yep. Once you see the chocolate almonds just sitting in the cupboard, that's the thing. If you can stop at one or two, that's great. But after a while, it just becomes sort of a staple treat. And you have to think of it as a staple treat, not something that's going to 
kind of trigger you and put you over the edge to eat the whole bag. So that's also mindful eating, thinking, I'm going to give myself one or two of these and I'm going to portion them out and then let the bag sit there for the rest of the month, if that's a thing, right? So, <laughs> so with the dark chocolate, right, it, it actually has some health benefits in and of itself. So mm-hmm. that used to be my thing. Like after dinner, I would take a square. The problem is for me, because I like the taste of it, a square became two and then three and then six and then more. Yes. And, you know, then it became because... I keep different hours than everybody else. My bad eating, and that's what I call it, would be late at night. So for and you know that. I and know that's, that. And that's the thing. So if you identify the nighttime as a trigger, yep. then that's the time you have to work on it. So it's not necessarily like you have to work on it during the day. That's the time you work on it. Meaning, for instance, maybe taking two pieces of chocolate, putting it in a baggie yep. and saying, this is my portion. This is what I'm going to have. And that's also a good technique to buy single servings of things like maybe. like a little packet of dark chocolate or I like to buy the the Costco squares Mm -hmm. the lint dark chocolate because they're individually wrapped. Yeah, too much packaging. I hear what you're saying. Like for me, I have to go cold turkey. It's no eating after mm-hmm. dinner. Like I, I can't, it's a slippery slope. And when I'm, on, right. the, when, I, when, I, when I'm on the slope, I'm halfway down the slope. But I think what you're advocating is 80-20. Yeah? Absolutely. And it's funny because I always, and I know you've heard me say this before, but the 80-20 rule is called a rule and rules are meant to be broken. Yeah. So I like to actually call it the 80-20 concept. Okay. <laughs> Instead of the 80 okay, we'll, we'll, we'll play with semantics. All right, go ahead. Exactly. And then some people get into, oh, 80-20 is not good. I like to go for the 100%. I yeah. disagree with that concept because that's a dieting concept. The 80-20 concept is a non-dieting concept, meaning True. if my weakness is at night where I'm going to really want the food at night, do the 20% in the evening then. Don't do it during the day. Like, Figure out what fits into your life as a lifestyle change. Well, for me, I can do the 20. I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I can't go completely cold turkey. But But you shouldn't. No, no, no. But I do the cold turkey element at night because I know once I start eating at night, that's where things get out of control. But I can conduct myself. I can have that chocolate during the day, like maybe before dinner. Mm-hmm. Or, or after a workout or something like that, that's my reward. And then that sort of keeps me balanced. So I'm not depriving myself. So for me, it's temporal. But everybody's different, right? But you just said the perfect thing. At night, you have figured out that that's your trigger. Yep. And that's what people have to do. True. Like sometimes yep. three o'clock is someone's trigger. And I find that if you take 100 people, you could divide the people into their trigger is three o'clock or their trigger is 10 o'clock. Because as you say, the house gets very quiet. You have different hours than everyone else at that point. And it's also, you have to decide when your hormonal triggers are. And typically they're at three o'clock, like Mm mid-afternoon and at night. And I always say to people, it's not a surprise anymore. You know how you're going to feel at three o'clock or 11 o'clock. Yep. It's not a surprise anymore. So it's what you should identify and then get your techniques into those spaces for control. So... You know, 
I mean, the easy way to do it would be to say, okay, there's just not going to be any of that in the house. Mm-hmm. But, but again, I, I don't think that's realistic. You agree with me on that, right? It's not I realistic do. for everybody else. To, it's to, absolutely not, because I think we need a treat every day. And if we, quote unquote, allow us, as you said, a treat every day, it really decreases the probability of feeling deprived and that type of thing. So... What I normally do is I say plan in advance. So I do think we should still have the treats in the house, but we should also emphasize other foods like pre-cut fruits and vegetables. I know my husband and my children go to the cupboard before the fridge. And I always say to them, why are you going to the cupboard? Go to the fridge. Like we've got some pre-washed cherries there. We've got some cut up carrots there. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we forget that we can make healthy foods convenient and convenient. We can make them convenient foods like the tray of fruit, the tray of vegetable that you don't have to do any work if you buy it pre-cut. Yep. I call it hand fruit. My family makes a lot of fun of me, but like having a nectarine or a peach or an apple, just have it ready, you know, like have it washed, as you say, or just have it convenient. And, and that's always a good choice. You it's know? so delicious and it's so seasonal. True. And yeah, I agree. So what, meals, do you advocate separate meals for people who are, who are, are, are not like I'm of the view, I don't want to be eating something special and different because then that's almost psychologically you're, you're stigmatizing how you're mm-hmm. eating. Whereas if you're eating what everybody else is eating, you know, you can sort of get around that. I think the era of being a short order cook is over. And I do think that the family style meals have come into kind of the modern way of serving. And I find that if people see the food in front of them, they feel that they have the choice and that someone else isn't pre-plating and making the choice for them. Right. And you also don't want your spouse or your partner, or your kids to be your, your jailer, right? Like it's not up yes. to them to police your eating. If, if you're abdicating responsibility for it, you've already lost the battle in my view. I, exactly. Know. And that's why, like, think about it also. There's vegetarians, there's meat eaters, there's most recipes can be somehow turned into either or. Yep. Right? Yeah. So if you're making a stir fry, do one with shrimp, one with tofu, but have the main vegetables the same and the grain the same, like rice. So you you can do it. It just takes a little bit of pre-thought because we know in the long run what our family members are going to say no to. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been a wonderful subject. And yeah. And next month, we're going to talk about another interesting one, and, that, and that's changing your diet as you age. Yeah. As we age. Yes. Thanks for having me on, Jamie. Excellent. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how yoga can augment your home workout on the tonic. Are you stressed out? Feel exhausted? Having trouble sleeping? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplements to help take the edge off, relax, and sleep better. Discover de-stress, chill pills, and sleep aid from New Roots Herbal. Natural ingredients and guaranteed purity for a better day and a restful night. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. For more information, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. 
Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest is local yogi Jody Fishstein. She's a mixed lineage yoga teacher who loves the many aspects of Ashtanga, Pranaflow, Vinyasa, and Yin Yoga. For Jody, being a mother of four opened the gates to empathy. With the practice of deep listening, she's able to better understand her yoga community. And she's also a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine and guest on the show. Welcome back, Jody. How are you? Good morning, Jamie. I'm well. How are you? Doing well. So a lot of people are still at home. The, the gyms aren't quite open yet, although it looks like they're maybe close. And they're doing a lot of home workouts. And maybe that's taking a Zoom class, a, a HIIT class, or maybe that's going for a run, or maybe they have a treadmill or an elliptical. And they're working out at home. And I thought it would be interesting to hear how yoga can sort of be woven into whatever home gym practice people are doing. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. I think we're all learning new formats since the hibernation period, which was probably the beginning of March, I would say, to April. We all had to take on these new ways of working out and new formats. Yeah. I know you work with a lot of different people. What sort of exercises are you hearing that people are doing at home? Well, I'm observing my friends, my family, and myself. I personally use a Peloton every day, and I'm noticing my family are using personal like training apps, such as TRX. And so you have this whole structure that you can travel with, we could go to the cottage with, it can be outdoors, indoors. It began indoors. All you need is like a stairwell or a door beam. And they're having these incredible workouts, which are pretty strengthening, but I would say a bit limited in terms of lengthening the body before or afterwards. So I think that's where yoga might be useful. In particular, I think people that have vigorous workouts like yourself with rowing or TRX or even me on the Peloton, I think that we need to take it easy with the yoga, you know, not make it so vigorous, but instead make it slightly more restorative. Right. A lot of props around the house and, you know, they can be simple things like, you know, blankets and pillows or blocks or in particular, you know, if you're rowing, Jamie, I would highly recommend a yoga wheel, which is very inexpensive and it's very light and you could transport it anywhere and it really gives you back some of that length that you need on your back body because I noticed with rowing, I notice with cycling and even TRX that you're kind of sitting, you're kind of hunched, and there's a lot of pushing, a lot of push-ups. So I feel like with, in particular, rowing, it's so important to lengthen your hip flexors again. The wheel is like a like a circle that you sort of fix, like you lie on it on your back, right? So it's it's kind of creating an arch in your lower back. Is, is that the wheel? It, yes, exactly. But it gives a lot of support. I would say if you have never used a yoga wheel before, definitely be open to it. However, you might want to begin with stability ball. The stability ball, you sit down and then you just slowly start to recline on the ball and it's kind of a, a less intense backbend. Right. And then after a few sessions of this and you get used to that kind of extension and you feel this great stretch up and down the front of the body, in particular your quads and hip flexors, you might then move on to the yoga wheel, which could feel a little more intense, but... For my clients, my students, and my family, they love it. They love the way it makes them feel. What I've been doing, there is a lot of stress on the back with rowing, and I've been I've been doing sort of longer distances. I've been rowing like 10K or doing 5K and, and then sort of incorporating stuff like burpees and push-ups, and so, it's, so it's, it is pretty hard on the back. I've been doing sort of like a, it's a 10-minute 
sort of warm down where I'm, I'm sort of for the first couple of minutes, I'm doing Cobra to downward dog back and forth, holding it for about 30 seconds in each mm-hmm. and then doing pigeon for two minutes on each side, pigeon pose, a little bit of child's pose just to sort of stretch out the back and then just sort of touching my toes from a standing position without bouncing. You know, the bouncing is the worst part, right? Just, just trying to stretch out the back, but I may give that wheel a try. Really should. I think that what you're doing is amazing. I'm not sure how long the rowing session is. My only experience with it is limited, but I remember being on the, the rowing machine for approximately 20 minutes. Yeah. And I really felt like the little stretches that I did, which were static, the same as yours. Yeah. You know, meaning very little movement. Right after warming up, I would do a little bit of stretching, then on the rowing machine for about 20 minutes, which was very challenging for me. Yeah. And then. 15 to 20 minutes, if, you know, time permitting, that you can really get back into some of those yoga shapes you were talking about. I'm actually on for about 40 minutes, which is, it's terrible, but yeah. <laughs> well, that's pretty intense. Yeah. I don't know what the recommended time is, yeah. but I mean, if you feel good after, why not? Yeah. Right, you know, I thought you, 20 was enough. But. Yeah. So if you're doing the Peloton, there must be hip flexor issues, yeah, for you? Well, I happen not to have any, but I can entertain the fact that some can. What I do notice that when I'm on the bike, I'm really practicing good form, meaning yeah. I'm, I'm really aware of how I'm breathing. And I'm also really aware that I, I stabilize my core muscles, in particular my core abdominals. And I notice I feel a lot of support because you're right, we're sitting for a long time and it could be a compressive activity if you're doing it, what, three or four times a week. Yep. So it's so important that we just, you know, keep the core on because quite often when we're sitting and if you're not properly trained, you might kind of soften your stomach area right? and the lower back muscles will start to relax in the stomach. And that's probably what we don't want, especially in rowing. Yep. So I guess in order to alleviate any of that pressure is to keep the core on. So I would say with someone rowing, like if they were new to it, and then they came to see me as yoga, I'd really be working on strong posture yes. and core. Yep. And then they're going to develop their core anyway in the rowing class. But just to have that initial understanding that, that you need to always be mindful. Yeah. But so like you're on the Peloton, so that's, you know, that's spinning. And, you know, I, I spun for years. And, and so with me, it was always the hips when I was spinning. And, and I have a really good core, like like really, really good. Like I can I can hold plank forever. But still, they would tighten up. And, you know, at night when I'm sleeping, that's when I would really feel it. And, and if you don't have the hip flexor problem, God bless you. But I know people who are spinning and there's a lot of people who have the Peloton at home. They should be doing some yoga poses to help with that. Don't you think? Absolutely. I think being on the bike, when I get off the bike, I don't feel pain. Yeah. But I feel a certain tightness through the psoas. And I feel like I have this uh, instinct to go to a dragon lunge. And dragon lunge is a very simple lunge. You see it more in yin yoga. And I love to hold that posture for up to a minute on each side. And what it does is lengthen the front of the quadriceps and gets into the hip flexor. And mm-hmm. I have pillows or a blanket or a prop, and it really makes all the difference. And after I stretch both sides of my hip flexors after spinning, I would definitely walk over to a stability ball and get a slightly even more intense sensation of lengthening the front body, right? So when we have downward-facing dog, we're lengthening the back body, Yep. right? So we have our, our supported back bend, we're, we're lengthening the front body. So you need both. In particular, we want to balance some of the great work we're achieving in rowing and cycling and really to make time for it. 
you know? Yeah. So a dragon lunge, is that kind of like a warrior type pose lunge or can you describe it? It's very similar to a modified warrior. So yes, the front knee and hip is an extension. So you step one foot forward and you step the other foot as far back as you can. But instead of making it feel um, really vigorous, you'll drop the back leg or the the knee down, maybe onto a blanket or anything that's comfortable so that you can hold a stretch for a little bit longer than maybe 30 seconds, right? So it's really what, what you can manage and if you're breathing comfortably, 30 seconds to a minute, you know, some teachers could potentially say, yeah, try a little bit longer and then it would go into sort of a yin practice. With that pose, are you trying to keep your back arched and, or straight or are you leaning forward into your lunge? It can be anything you want it to be. Sometimes I will explore a really deep back bend yeah. and at the same time, grab the leg in the back, the foot and, and have an incredible hamstring stretch and quad stretch. You can intensify anything. I would say if you're kind of tired after rowing or cycling, maybe you take it easy and really enjoy that stretch. You know, I would say the more comfortable it is, the more likely you are to breathe and relax into the shape. You shouldn't feel like you're hyperventilating into it. Right. It should be so relaxed and calm because your body's always striving for homeostasis. And so why not breathe comfortably? You know, it should never feel strange. What's your view? My understanding is you want to do, before you're you're going to start something like a Peloton class or rowing or hit, whatever it is you're doing, you should be doing some movements that are low stress, but are mimicking the movements that you're going to do. But the real time for stretching is when your body's nice and warm after. Do you agree with that? Yes, but when I notice that, like, I do simple things to get warm, such as the breath of joy. And although I can't really walk you through that, it's a lot of arm movements and similar to like jumping jack arms, right? Yeah. So it could be very intense or I can do 20 jumping jacks before I begin, which is not really mimicking the movements that I'm going to, you know, feel yeah. on the peloton or rowing, but most certainly it's going it's going to get my heart rate up and then maybe I'll stretch for 5 minutes. I like to get into my hamstrings. That's that's an area for me that's problematic. Yep. So I, I will stretch the back body a little bit more so than the front where we talked about hip flexors and where we feel things. I don't feel very much in my hip flexor. I think lucky. a lot of people do, though. Yeah, so you have for to sure. always bring that, you know, that quad stretch in. I really think it does help. And it makes your experience, you know, on the rowing machine or the bike probably more beneficial, I would say. Yeah. So you were alluding to it before, but you were talking about relaxation and breathing. So how does that come into play? Where do you see that? Well, I think with a vigorous activity, it's almost like we're in a state of hyperventilation sometimes, right? So we're breathing much differently. And, we're, you know, we're just trying to manage respiration and it changes, right? So our respiration is, you know, the in-breath and the out-breath. And I think with yoga, we draw our attention to that. We watch the patterns, the way we're breathing, and we really should take into consideration that our moods, where we're talking, whatever activity we're doing will always affect our respiration rate. So, you know, I would say for me, I help people transition out of the vigorous activity with just coming to either seated or lying down, whatever's more comfortable for you, right? Mm -hmm. So quite often we see yoga teachers encouraging us to sit still, sit, and for some people that is stimulating. It's not as relaxing as it could be. And for some, it is relaxing. I'm, I'm of the camp where I don't like sitting for long periods of time. I'd rather be lying on my back, right? Yeah. I think like for Jamie, if you had just gotten off your rowing machine and we were together and, and I said, all right, come to lying down in, in a supine position and close your eyes, right? And just listen to the pattern of your breathing for about one minute. 
and we can do different things from there. You can count. Mm-hmm. So counting is a very interesting way to understand how your body and your breathing, your respiration rate changes from, you know, being really powerful on the, on the rowing machine and then getting back to a more relaxed breathing rate. Fantastic. Right? Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Will you come back oh again soon? I'd love to, Jamie. I hope you and your family are having a wonderful summer. We are. You as well. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Joel Thuna, Dr. Yvonne Boyce, Shauna Linzen, and Jody Fishstein. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. During COVID-19, we're suspending distribution of the magazine, but Tonic's generally available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss natural beauty secrets for your skin, a naturopathic approach to Lyme disease, conducting a culinary armchair tour and dealing with family spats and squabbles during COVID. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.